I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be here and to preach. It's always a blessing to do that anywhere, but also especially for me here. Lots of my family go to this church um, and have done for years. Uh, my mum and dad also send their greetings from my Pontra Baptist Church as well. So if you have your Bibles, could you turn to uh, everyone's favourite book of the Bible, Numbers, to start with? Uh, we're going to be flicking through a couple of books. We'll have a look at Numbers chapter 13 for some context, historically telling us the background of the story. The main passage today will be Joshua chapter 14, but we'll start in Numbers chapter 13, and I'll read uh, different verses, starting in verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes, my favourite time of year, that's midsummer. Uh, skip down to verse 26. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it. For we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. To keep your finger in Numbers 13 and also chapter 14, but turn to Joshua chapter 14. God would go on to promise judgment on the people because of their lack of faith in the the following chapter of Numbers Uh, but he would notice his servant Caleb because as God said he had a different spirit and followed him wholeheartedly Joshua chapter 14 then as I said will be the main uh, subject matter today verse 6 says then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadash Barnea, concerning you and me. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadash Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again, as it was in my heart. 
But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these forty-five years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day eighty-five years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And the land had rest from war. A lot of reading there, but uh, necessary for uh, what we're studying today. Caleb's faith is on display throughout these passages, but really the object of his faith is what the author is drawing our attention to. In verse 12, Caleb says, You yourself heard the Amakites were there, and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. The Anakites were strong enemies of Israel. Some believe they were even giant-like in their stature. But Caleb's God is so much greater that Caleb knows God is mighty, God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful. And so he trusts that if his God is Jehovah Sabaoth, that is the Lord of hosts or armies, and if his God is on his side, no force will be too great. And when your faith in God is strong, all you need in order to believe is the word of the living God. That word can still your fear and it can increase your courage. Today we're going to observe three things. We're going to see Caleb's faith in God. We're going to see Caleb's faithfulness to God. And we're going to look at God's faithfulness to Caleb. The first thing then is his faith in God. Particularly his faith in God's promises. This passage begins with Caleb reminding Joshua of what God promised him through Moses. He says to Joshua, you know what the Lord said to Moses. And then he asks for what had been promised to him. Now don't read this as uh, a selfish plea. Don't read this as his proud sense of privilege. Look, this is what I deserve. I've waited long enough. No, he bases his request on God's promise in the past. The very first thing that Caleb says in this chapter sets the tone of the chapter. It shows his character as a man of God, as a man of faith. But what's even more remarkable than this uh, remembrance or recalling of God's promises is how long he has waited for this promise to be fulfilled. He is now 85 years old. He tells us 45 years have passed since God made a promise to him and his descendants. And by the way, that's an interesting thing to note too. Caleb recited the promise made 45 years before without leaving a single detail out. I've no doubt that many times during his difficult years in the wilderness, 
And during grueling military campaigns, he recalled God's promise to him and it, it was a source of strength. Let this be a challenge to us, to remember God's promises as he has given them to us in his word. If we do that, then our feet will be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And with that, we will wield the sword of the Spirit, that sword which is the word of God, as we read in Paul's letter. We can't always foresee hardship, but if we have the gospel in our hearts and if we have the gospel in our minds, then we can have an ongoing peace throughout whatever struggles we face throughout our lives, no matter how long they are. Just uh, last week, I was reading a book about the needy children in Romania. I'd been in Romania three weeks ago today. I was preaching in Romania, and we were teaching lots of children who were orphans. And I was reading a book about this last week. A Romanian pastor went with his friend to a prison for young people in Romania. And he was surprised that some of the juveniles were so eager to learn the word of God. One boy persistently asked this pastor for his Bible. It was a nice, shiny leather Bible. Reluctant to part with it, the pastor said to him, Okay, I'll give you a challenge. If you can learn Psalm 119 word for word in the next few weeks, you can have my Bible. And the friend that was with the pastor on his visit said, I'll even throw in a bicycle. So the pastor was obviously being a little bit selfish and he admitted that. But he came back two weeks later and that boy rushed up to him and said, Pastor, I'm going to get your Bible. And he recited to him Psalm 119. I think the last two or three verses he uh, struggled. But he recited that entire psalm. And it was fascinating. Only two weeks had passed. But that boy treasured the word of God in his heart. So those two men were left with one less Bible, one less bicycle. And two portions of egg on their face. But they were humbled by the experience. The boy was eager to learn more of scripture. Because he was in a dire circumstance. Just like Caleb was. As he recalled God's promises. He waited patiently on God. He trusted in God. And he didn't try to rush his will. And this is a great lesson to us. We don't need to complain. We don't need to give up. And we don't need to make demands of God. We believe We wait patiently and we hold on to the promises. The second thing about Caleb's faith in God is that it influenced other people. The other detail in Caleb's recitation of God's promise that could easily uh, be missed is that he mentions his descendants. He knows this is a promise for him and for his descendants. If he was recalling this for selfish reasons, he could have just said, Look, God promised that land to me and I've waited And now I want it. It's what I've earned. But he remembers that God's promise was for him and his children. So I don't think um, I'm imposing on the text to say that we're actually learning something about the significance of someone's faith as it influences other people in their life. (laughs) Caleb's example to his family was one of humility, courage in the Lord and a desire to do God's will. He demonstrated this to his family with a wholehearted commitment to God. And there are clues in the following chapter of Joshua that his faith did rub off in his children. If you turn to Joshua 15, verse 13. Verse 13 tells us that the Lord did give 
uh, to Caleb the land that he promised. And verse 14 tells us this. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. By the way, that's a historical note to tell us that he literally did defeat giants with his faith in God. Verse 15. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. By the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriath Sefer and captures it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field, and she got off her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So how does that event support the claim that Caleb's faith was infectious within his family. Well, his daughter had the faith to, to ask her father for springs of water to irrigate the land that she'd already been blessed with. That was an act of faith. Uh, she wanted more, but again, it wasn't out of selfish ambition. Then we have Othniel. He's Caleb's nephew turned son-in-law, and he gets more of a, a mention in the book of Judges. Judges 3 sets the scene. It tells us, like so many of the, the chapters in Judges, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot their Lord and served the Baals and the Asherahs. So God's anger is burning in judgment against his people. They cry out to him and he provides a man of faith. And that man's name was Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved him. The text says... The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Reshaphaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. When I read that, it took a few moments, I thought, this is amazing. There's so much to notice here. You could almost write a sermon and call it like father, like son, although it's son in law. But in summary, Caleb's son-in-law was a spirit-filled deliverer of Israel. He relied on God's strength the way his, his father-in-law did. He overpowered a great king and mighty enemies. Through his son, the faithful God of Caleb provided peace to an undeserving, disobedient people. And for how long? For 40 years. Roughly the same amount of time that Caleb had waited on God to give the land peace. God owes us nothing, but in his grace, he gives us when we ask of him. He won't always give us immediately. He may not even give us what we think we need, but he always gives us what he knows is best for us. So Caleb's faith seems to have influenced his descendants. Caleb's faith was in a great God. Another example of his faith is from the original story we read in Numbers chapter 13. When Caleb and Joshua and the other spies were sent to search out the land, his report stood on its own as a great sign of faith. Every other spy was spreading rumours that it was going to be impossible. They weren't going to be able to do this. The people there were too great. But Caleb and Joshua said this, If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. So his faith was in a great God. His faith was not in himself or in the strength of Israel's armies. 
Real biblical faith is rooted in God. It remembers God's goodness in the past. It praises him for his goodness to us in the present. And it hopes in his faithfulness for the future. There's a story of a shoe salesman who went into a distant country. And he was sent by his business to try and find out, are we going to be able to sell many shoes there? Very soon after he arrived, after a long journey, he rang his company and he said, with great distress, send me home, I need to get out of here as soon as possible. So they did, and they rang him again and they said, look, why were you so frustrated? Why do you want to come home so quickly? He said, nobody wears shoes in that country. You sent me to a country to sell shoes to people who don't wear them. So the next week, the company sent another salesman, and he ran with a completely different report. He says, send me all the shoes that the company can make. The market here is unlimited. Nobody has any shoes. What a great opportunity. And that represents the better response. Whenever God calls you to a task that you think is impossible, don't focus on your inability to complete the task. Don't focus on the people that you're called to serve or to teach the gospel to. Focus on the great God who can do more than you can ask or imagine. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Caleb's faith is seen also in verse 10 of chapter 14. He says, Now then, just as the Lord promised me, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. If it had been us, maybe we would have worded it differently. Like, I'm fed up waiting for God to give me what I deserve. It's been four and a half long decades. I've had to put up with this terrible wilderness. I've had to put up with boring food. Has God forgotten about me? But Caleb begins with a very bold statement. One that acts as a reason for his confidence. He begins by saying, just as the Lord promised. He says the Lord has kept his promise, even though he hasn't received the land yet. Then he says, God has kept me alive for 45 years. He doesn't say, why? Why have I had to put up with this struggle for 45 years? He remembers that he's been kept alive. So the one who could be trusted to give Caleb the land was the same one that Caleb trusted for every breath that filled his lungs. God's goodness, therefore, is being observed in the lesser things. How often we forget to show God our gratitude for the things that we take for granted. Even the breath that we breathe, even the water that we drink or the food that we eat. God is the one who provides us with the basic necessities we need for survival. Sometimes we forget to thank God for these things because he hasn't fulfilled our heart's desires. The things that we think we need. For example... For myself, I've been praying for a revival in the city of Belfast. I don't see much positive change spiritually here, but I pray for this, believing that God will do whatever pleases him. But do I maybe forget to thank him for the blessing that has become so um, common, almost? The fact that each week I receive expository preaching through the word of God, through his servants. So we need to thank him for what he has blessed us with now. And continue to pray for those greater things. Things that we think are maybe too great for God. They're not. But we need to pray in his will. That he will bring glory to his name. 
So how often do you thank God for the, the years of life that he has given you? Sometimes maybe. Do you ever thank God for the most difficult years? If we do ever remember to worship God for preserving our lives, do we ever thank him for the hard times? Someone that I've learned a lot from, uh, just recently actually I picked up uh, one of her poetry books, uh, is my own mother. My mum's had a difficult life, particularly whenever she struggled with uh, ME. It was a crippling medical condition. Sometimes she couldn't get out of bed. Sometimes uh, she couldn't dress herself. She couldn't feed herself. But she used that time uh, where she had a depleted physical energy to write poetry. And she wrote, God is very near in my worry, in my frustration, in those silent prayers he hears. When the day seems twice as long and depression longer still, then I wonder if my prayers and hopes will ever really come true. But then I think of what God has done. Tomorrow can be brighter when we realise God's hand is always leading us to him. All things by him are planned. The second thing we want to look at is Caleb's faithfulness to God. And I'll be shorter in these last two things. Jesus' brother James uh, wrote that faith without works is dead. So the second thing I want to observe from Caleb's life is his faithfulness to his God. Claire and I have been married for two years in August. And sometimes... Uh, we're not giving any clues away, but sometimes we think if we were blessed by God with children, what would we name them? And I've always liked the idea of naming them either with a biblical name or just a name that has a special meaning behind it. Caleb's name tells us a lot about his character. His name means either faithful or wholehearted. Um, And in the NIV, the word wholehearted is used to describe him three times, just in Joshua 14. He was faithful when every other spy rejected what God had said and when they doubted that they would be successful in their mission. He was faithful. He says, My brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Even after the expedition he went on, when he was in the wilderness, when he was experiencing war, he remained faithful. He was surrounded by people who were unfaithful to God, but he stood out. Despite all these things, he kept on living his life to please God. He was courageous because he trusted in God. He did not give up on God because God did not give up on his people. In verse 11 it says, I am still strong enough. He believed he would still be able to conquer. And so he says, I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. So at the age of 85, he's telling us that he is still strong. Still as strong physically as he was when he was 40. Now can he really be talking about physical strength? Well, my grandfather is 86. Not the one present here today, my other grandfather. He struggles to get out of bed in the morning. He's suffering from dementia. And sometimes he can't even dress himself. But when he was 40, he was a police officer during the Troubles. And sometimes he had to do 12-hour shifts or back-to-back double shifts. He clearly does not have the same physical strength that he did 45 years ago. But like Caleb, he still trusts in God. He still prays. And like Caleb, he still remembers God's promises. I was visiting him recently. And he was able to recite portions of scripture that he remembered as a child. 
So he still remembers what God has promised. I have no doubt that God could have been giving Caleb a physical strength that was strange for an 85-year-old to have because God is a God of miracles. But I think Caleb's real strength is in his faith and in his faithfulness to God. He is ready and willing to go into the land and defeat the enemies because he knows his God is so much more powerful than him and he trusts God will be faithful to him. Don't put your faith in your own physicality or even in your own spiritual strength. Both those things can go up or down throughout your life. Put your faith in your God. And whatever God calls you to, whatever the task, will you do it? Will you be faithful? Will you do whatever brings him the most glory, even if it doesn't bring you any glory? Our Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples that they would have trouble in the world. And thankfully that's not all he said. For in the next sentence he said, but take courage or take heart, I have overcome the world. Because Jesus Christ overcame the world, we do not need to fear. He will be with us whenever he calls us to serve him. He voluntarily gave up his life on the cross for his sheep and he took back his life. In this way he overcame the world and not even death could defeat my saviour. Faith in God, therefore, produces works. I said before about James, Jesus' brother. And in James chapter 2, verse 14, we read an indictment on professing Christians who profess but do not possess Christ. What good is it, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? That is, no doubt, a rhetorical question. In 2011, about 60% of people in England and Wales uh, were asked a question during a census at the time, what's your religion? 60% of people said they were Christian. Fascinating. And yet, I'm not overjoyed at that, because that does not reflect what we see in our society. Northern Ireland came out as the most religious part of the UK, with only 17% of people saying they had no religion. And under 1% saying they had a different religion to Christianity. And yet, as I said, this doesn't really tell us the true story. Because secularism, or the pride of self, is the real religion of the masses in the UK today. But James knew of no such Christianity that was devoid of any fruit. Neither did Paul, and neither did their Lord Jesus Christ. Who, in Matthew 7, said this to his disciples... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what will he say to the one who relies on their own fake version of faith, or their man-made religiosity? The next verse in Matthew 7 tells us, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Let that be a challenge to each one of us. Look at Caleb again and aspire to model the kind of faith that he has. A faith that then worked and worked throughout his life. Do not depend on self. Do not depend on mere belief. Because an intellectual belief in God is theism, not Christianity. I recently had a conversation with a co-worker who is a Catholic. And one of the things I wanted to point out as the major difference between her religion and my belief is that I do not need to work for God to gain his favour. 
but I want to work because of all his unmerited favour towards me, all the love and grace that he has displayed to me. And I pointed her to the sacrifice that he'd made, how that is sufficient. So there's one more thing about uh, Caleb's faithfulness to God, and it's no small issue. He was faithful throughout his life, and that tells us that there's no age limit on discipleship. There is no expiry date on your faith. If Christ has saved you, and he has made you his disciple, then all of your days you must serve him. That's not a punishment, it is in fact a privilege. For example, Joshua and Moses were in their 80s when they told Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Then in Psalm 92 we have another example. It says, The righteous will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. So, young or old here today, if you're a child of God, you must serve God wholeheartedly throughout your life. From the historical record, we noted Caleb's faith influenced his children positively. And the late Warren Wearsby commented this way, The older generation must provide for the next generation, not only materially, but also spiritually. So senior saints, as he calls them, must be examples of believers and encourage the younger generation to trust and wholly follow the Lord. He passed away uh, quite recently this year and the legacy that he left for the generations after him was one of faithful ministry and a spiritual character that proves he did practice what he preached. Sadly, my generation has not only rejected the wisdom it can gain from the generations above them, but also the Rock of Ages, whose faithfulness has been testified about by so many people. Our senior saints, as Wearsby called them, ought to be an example to the younger generations, especially in the post-Christian society that we live in, or the digital age that we live in, where people look online for adulterous, lying, cheating, pride-filled celebrities, and they see them as a paradigm to follow. So we can all We can all be examples of faithfulness. And the last thing I'll say today is about God's faithfulness to Caleb. The whole point of the passage that we have looked at has not primarily been about Caleb's faith in God or his faithfulness to God. Though I have dwelt on those things more for the sake of application. But what they do is they highlight God's faithfulness to him. In Joshua, at the end of Joshua, I have it up on the screen. We're shown that God did keep his promise. And on his deathbed, Joshua himself testified, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. God does not fail his people. God does not break his promises. In a different context, yet equally important for our application of this passage, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. It would be illogical for a Christian to think that their Lord would not keep his promises, that he would not be able to fulfill what he has told them he would, because he is the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Back in Numbers 14 verse 9, Caleb declared the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. In Numbers 14.24, God had promised to judge the unbelieving, disobedient people. But then he promised this. 
But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. God was faithful to his promise because he says from this time onwards that land, the land of Horeb or Hebron, has belonged to Caleb. God was faithful to Caleb. Was he faithful because Caleb was obedient? Yes and no. But God is faithful even when we are faithless and when we doubt him, when we do not trust in him, when we disobey, he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And throughout scripture, God's faithfulness to his people is on display. We can be certain of it because Jesus Christ himself has proven beyond any doubt that God is faithful to save his people. God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for those who did not know him, who did not love him, who were not his children. He did that so that we would have a way to come to the Father. We don't come as enemies of God, we come as children of God. So if Caleb could demonstrate such a great faith in a great God... And he had no, uh, no idea about Jesus Christ. How much more should we have faith in God? And we should show that faith's evidence by our works. Caleb was faithful to God. And God was faithful to him. But that was not a transaction of reciprocity. Because God is no man's debtor. It was entirely of grace. In Numbers 13 verse 2. Yahweh ordered Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. When God gave that instruction, each ancestral tribal leader should have gone in to spy out the land and come back and said, okay, we've seen it, looks difficult, but God said, I am giving it to the Israelites, so we can do it. But only Caleb and Joshua came back with faithfulness. And yet, God did not owe them any favours. Similarly, when God commands that all men, women and children should give him the honour, glory and praise that he deserves, it's enough for us to submit to his authority and don't expect him to bless you. And yet, in his overwhelming grace and love, he has blessed us. He has given us Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, the one who gave his life for us, the one who took away the penalty of sin and its sting, which is death. We don't need to fear, because as I said before, if he calls you to serve him, he will be the one to empower you. He will help you carry out his mission. So let us learn today from Caleb's example, but let us learn infinitely more from Christ's. Only our Lord Jesus Christ was faithful to all that God commanded him, even death on a cross, a curse. He endured the greatest suffering so that we could have eternal salvation. God blessed him like he blessed Caleb because Jesus Christ had a different spirit and he truly did follow God wholeheartedly even to Calvary. He ascended to be with his father where he is today and even now he demonstrates his faithfulness to God and to us as our great high priest. We must give our lives to him in faithful service. And do whatever he calls us to do. Amen. Amen.
We're going to sing a hymn that reminds us 